I know what the BC Conservatives are most thankful for. It's uh, today's poll from Leger. Uh, it was released today. It was a poll um, where they surveyed 1,001 British Columbians between September 15th and September 18th. And what's interesting here is voting intentions. We're still a year away from the next provincial election, but the voting intentions were quite interesting. Uh, the NDP scored highest at 42% support, followed by the provincial BC Conservative Party, 25%. 19% for BC United, formerly known as the BC Liberals, and 10% for the Green Party. Now, what does this actually mean in the grand scheme of things? Generally, we've had coalition parties, and those coalition parties, in the case of the Free Enterprise, has always been federal liberals and federal conservatives got together, and you would have the BC United Party, or in the past, BC Liberals. But today, you got both of them running, and the BC Conservatives are ahead when it comes to voting intentions. Well, to make uh, sense of it all for us is Global BC's Keith Baldry, who's joining us now to talk a little bit about today's poll. Keith, thank you for joining us. Hello, Jazz. Hello. Now, you, I'm going to say full disclosure, you texted me this morning. I think it was like 7 a.m. We had talked about a potential poll coming out. You texted me. What do you make of all this? Well, I mean, it's, you're right when we're, we're a year away from the election, unless we're not a year away. I mean, Evie can call, pull the plug anytime he wants, including next spring, and he must be tempted when he sees um, a split like this. So historically in B.C., you talk about the Free Enterprise Coalition. The Free Enterprise Coalition, whether it was called the old Social Credit Party or the B.C. Liberal Party, uh, governed this province for 52 of 70 years until the NDP had an interruption in the early 70s and again in the 90s and now uh, for the last seven years or so. And BC history shows whenever that side of the, le- of the ledger splits to any significant degree, the NDP can win an election because its vote is so resilient and steady and rock hard with less than 40% of the vote. And we've seen that happen in a number of elections in B.C., and we seem to be headed towards that now, although B.C. United will argue vociferously that is not the case. They say it's still early days in their view of changing their name to something where people can actually figure out what they are. Um, but I'll tell you, uh, the, things do not look good for B.C. United right now. People do not know who the party is. The B.C. Conservative brand is known to conservatives. It's not like the BC Conservatives are going to be picking up votes from the NDP or the old, you know, people consider themselves liberals. They are traditional conservative parties, conservative voters. Voters in the past usually voted for the BC Liberal Party, knowing that's the party that was a free coalition. So the names have changed, the identities have changed. There's a lot of voter confusion out there. And unless BC United can sort of uh, calm the waters, and get rid of that confusion. And they insist they can. I had a conversation with United Leader Kevin Falcon today, mm-hmm. who insists there's time enough to change uh, people's perceptions of his party and get their heads around the fact that they are, you know, the natural alternative to the NDP. He said, we're in a marathon, not a sprint. I said, I beg to differ. I don't think you're in a marathon. I think you might be in a half mile or a mile race, uh, and you know you're in the bell lap because there's not a lot of time before the next election. And we're talking about rebranding a name, and anybody in marketing can tell you that's not done overnight. It takes time and it takes money. So we could be at a historical crossroads. He saw. I think the reason is I think the United Party saw your tweet promoting this segment, talking about the potential disintegration of the Free Enterprise Coalition. And they certainly don't want talk like that because I think they genuinely feel that's not going to happen. They think they can keep the coalition together. Mm-hmm. And they think the B.C. Conservatives under John Rustad will marginalize themselves and and their support will dissipate and go back to United. And like in the, the situation in 2013 when the Conservatives were pulling well in the polls, I would argue we're in a fundamentally different situation than we were in 2013. And I think 
you know, the, the outlook is hazy at best for the alternatives to the NDP. But, I mean, do you think there's a point there in regards to Mr. Rastad's performance uh, on day one when the legislature opened? He goes, starts with Soji, which is highly offensive to many people, and certainly the Premier pushed back uh, on, on that as well. You had this odd performance yesterday by his colleague, Bruce Banman, who had, uh, I guess, uh, uh, revoke what he had said initially in his questioning and question period. Do you think some of these antics, I get, I get playing to your base, but as more and more we see more and more of this, uh, and people see more and more of their performance and perhaps pushing some of these uh, cultural issues, uh, hot button issues that people may you know move away from them and say, "Go look, this is this is a circus act. Uh, I'm going to rethink what I'm who I said I was going to support." Do you think there being a bit of that? And that's what Mr. Falcon has said. Look, just give these guys enough time; they'll shoot themselves in the foot. Oh, there's definitely going to be a chance of that, but I think Rustad's totally cognizant of that. I don't think he really cares. <laughs> I think they are not necessarily looking to form government. I think they want to replace the BC United as the alternative to the NDP, and I think they probably regard this as, as a long, uh, long-term goal, not something that's going to happen in a year. And I think they generally want to get rid of BC United and make them the, the dominant choice uh, to uh, replace the NDP. And it means, it may mean, you know, one thing, you know, they take very controversial positions the, last, the first week of the, of, of the legislature. But, you know, if you believe the old saw, there's no such thing as bad publicity in certain situations. John Rustad dominated the session the first three days and, and his colleague Bannon because people were responding to him. He was driving the bus at the legislature. It wasn't Kevin Falcon. It wasn't David Eby, although David Eby got a standing ovation from the opposition for denouncing Rustad. So this has added a, a whatever you want to call it, a new element, a bit of spice, some controversy, mm-hmm. into a chamber that's usually been you know, one or two or three parties squaring off along traditional lines, and now the conservatives come along. And they've upset the apple cart, and they've taken positions that many people find extreme, and they will continue to do so. I have no doubt about that. But they'll continue, um, I think, as an alternative to the NDP, uh, attract that conservative vote that Pierre Poliev is attracting, mm-hmm. who can take those controversial positions. And he said he's attracting it nationally. He's probably having some rub off in some provinces, Manitoba notwithstanding. And I think Rustad's gambling on that. Uh, I only look back uh, in history there. You've been there a while in Victoria covering it. And I, you know, I'm starting to think back to 1991 when it was. Uh, uh, working here actually, and and uh, or and following sort of Rita Johnson at that time, and I think in many decades before, probably in the early seventies, things were a little different then as well. Like, is are there are there similarities between let's say ninety one and today, uh, when SoCreds uh, disintegrated, and I guess even in the early seventies when the NDP came in uh, under Dave Baird in seventy two. Do you see some similarities there? Oh, yeah, uh, although the circumstances are different. So no, what you've got now is you've got two opposition parties, you know, squabbling or fighting over the same vote. In 1991, or the late 1980s and the early 90s, you had the Social Credit Party was disintegrating from within government. It was absolutely falling apart, and it fell apart in the 91 campaign, and the Social Credit Party disappeared. That was the Social Credit, uh, that was the Free Enterprise Coalition, you know, under W.A.C. Bennett for 20 years and his son Bill Bennett for 11 years, and then Bill Van Zandt for five years. But they let that get away because social conservatism uh, took over the party. Now you've got a social conservative party in the legislature, which is the B.C. Conservatives. They're, they're pushing social conservative buttons, which is toxic for many people. But I don't think they particularly care about that. But it can have the same uh, impact internally on driving a wedge uh, amongst caucus members. I was struck, and we talked about this, I think, yesterday, the first question period, Rustad denounces the SOGI 123 program. He's denounced by David Eby. 
and two BC United MLAs, Eleanor Sturko and Karen Kirkpatrick from West End, led the charge to stand up and cheer and join in a standing ovation. In fact, begin a standing ovation for the op, the government premier, which is almost unheard of, prompting and or if not forcing the rest of the United crowd the caucus to stand up. But there were three caucus members who remained in their chairs, mm-hmm. uh, who refused to participate, which was uh, Ben Stewart, Tom Shapika from the Kootenays, and Ellis Ross. And I'm not sure. I talked to Ben Stewart afterwards. He says he does have problems with the SOGI program, and so do some of his constituents. And he felt uncomfortable cheering for a premier. You know, feeling uncomfortable cheering for a premier is a legitimate view. Now, if that's an indication that there's a split of opinion in the caucus on a sensitive issue like SOGI, it raises a question, are there other splits potentially on other very toxic or divisive or explosive issues? And it was interesting today, David Eby was asked about this, and he kind of took the high road, saying he doesn't want to get into exploiting this. He doesn't take uh, pleasure in the fact that people point out his party benefits from a split like this. He doesn't want to see that type of toxic material in the legislature. And is really, as he said in the House, concerned that the conservatives are bringing this sort of toxic American-style politicking into the legislature to drive wedges between people rather than, you know, sort of not working together, but not working uh, with each other's hands around each other's throat. We are speaking to Keith Baldry, Global BC's legislative reporter. We were talking about a new Leger poll, uh, which uh, was conducted between September 15th and 18th uh, with the 1,001 British Columbians participating. And when it comes to voting intentions, the NDP sit at top at 42%, but number two, BC Conservatives at 25% and BC United at 19%, the BC Greens at 10%. Uh, Keith, one of the other things in this poll just showed that 52% of British Columbians think that the that things in this province are on the wrong track and when you look at it there's a lot before the government we got home prices that haven't uh, that aren't heading down they're heading up instead we got a huge affordability challenges you've got issues around crime and public safety decriminalization we're just talking to the solicitor general at four o'clock on this issue you've got issues of uh, british columbians having to go to bellingham for cancer care uh so the 52 percent doesn't surprise me and what surprises me is why when it comes to voting intentions mr eby is still sitting uh with the number that he's at it, 42%. And 47% approval. Mm-hmm. I think a couple of things. I think the pandemic, and I've been saying this right from day one, has fundamentally altered a lot of people's views of government, that many problems are seen to be beyond solving on just by switching political parties, which is why I don't see, see a lot of people you know, wanting to switch all the time. Um, and for example, this is, this is not an outlier poll. This is about the fifth poll in a row that shows the same gap yet continues to show the number one issue for British Columbians is housing. Number two is affordability. Number three is interest rates and inflation. Then, you know, not this poll, but other polls have asked, how do you rate the government's handling? The NDP government gets an abysmal showing on all those issues, mm-hmm. like 80% a negative view of, of their handling. But yet, that doesn't translate into changing voting intentions. And that tells me there's, A, a different view of government right now, but also that they're not, they look at the alternatives and they're either not satisfied or they're confused. And I think it speaks more to confusion right now with the name BC United. 
um, which, again, people don't know what it is. They haven't made the link between the, that it was the old D.C. Liberal Party, and they don't want to go there. Liberal, the United People are saying we're you know, not going to use the word liberals anymore because it makes people remind them of, of Justin Trudeau. And that's what, that could even be worse if we were the B.C. liberals. I'm not sure that's the case. But nevertheless, that prevents them from going there and, and tying that link to people. Hey, we're the guys who governed this province for years. Um, vote for us. They're not saying that. They're just basically saying, hey, we're, the, we're a new party. We're the alternative to the NDP. And when you're up against the word conservative, which is a known quantity and value, mm-hmm. it's tougher to make that case, which is, I think, reflected in the polls and explains why the NDP can get such bad marks when it comes to managing key issues, but it tr- doesn't translate to people voting for the other guy. Well, it's very common to, for for uh, politicos and staffers to, to make the co- you know comment that, hey, look, uh, 2013, the polls didn't matter. And the polls don't matter right now, and we're going to be just fine. What do you say to that argument in regards to the analogy of where you compare the present to 2013? Yeah, so 2013, for sure, the polls were dead wrong. Um, but people have to realize, I mean, if you're a political journalist, you do look at polls, because, and you also know the pollsters. And they changed the, they changed the methodology for polling pretty well universally, um, when a series of polls in both the U.S., Canada, and, and British Columbia failed. But if you look since 2013, the pollsters, by and large, have been spot on in terms of tracking public opinion. 2017, the pollsters uh, said it was a dead heat in B.C. Sure enough, it was a dead heat. Um, 2020, walkaway uh, NDP win. It was a walkaway NDP win, predicting, projecting a Trudeau minority government the last two elections, uh, almost to the exact number of popular vote in, on some of the national polling. So I think it's foolhardy uh, and, and foolish for political operatives to dismiss polling just because it doesn't um, say you're doing a good job as, as not indicative of what's going out there in public opinion. And it would, be, it would be really, I think, damaging for political parties to ignore that, say, well, it doesn't match what we want to see a pollster say, so therefore we're going to ignore it. Mm-hmm. You, you can be sure BC United at some point is going to be doing their own polling, and they're going to probably change uh, strategy accordingly, depending on what they see in their research. Uh, final question to you. Uh, one person has joined from the BC United Caucus, have, has joined the BC uh, Conservatives. That's Bruce Bandman, uh, Abbotsford South representative and former mayor of Abbotsford. If another member were to join uh, BC Conservatives from the BC United Caucus, what does that mean for Mr. Falcon as leader? Well, that would be very bad. <laughs> um, it would create a momentum that would instantly lead to, well, is anyone else going to join? Uh, and that would linger, I think, for months over Kevin Falcon's head. Now, having said that, you know, I think it's very hard. You've been a member of a caucus. It's hard for someone to leave a caucus, particularly those who have been around for a while. So I really discount the odds of a BC United member who's been around a long time of leaving the caucus to join another caucus. Sitting as independent is one thing. Joining another caucus is something else. I'm not saying it's not going to happen. It's certainly being talked about in ways that we've never heard such talk for some time. But I think the odds don't favor that happening. I think, although I do detect a bit of, I wouldn't call it panic, but I do detect there's a a, a sort of unbalance right now in the BC United Caucus leadership and party where they don't really understand what's going on here. Why is this happening when we're doing our best as opposition at a time when we still can't get our brand across to people. And now they find this guy named John Rustad suddenly pulls the rug out from under them on some very contra- controversial issues, yet 
steals all the attention in the first week of the legislature. That's not a good start for them. It's only the first week. Many more weeks to go, that's for Mm -hmm. sure, in this session. Thank you so much, Keith. All right.